right, so we're here at the end of our series, right before we enter into our series for, 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 for Christmas um, on exiles, the power of repentance. And so for the first three weeks, we were in uh, the book of Nehemiah and talking about how these, uh, these uh, Hebrews that were from after the exile, so post-exilic, they were uh, coming back and they got to the land of, uh, of Israel and to the city of Jerusalem, and they found the city completely in ruins. And so Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, and Ezra, the, uh, the political leader, the motivator, and the religious leader, they all got together with the people and told them, hey, I know we've never done this before. Some of them, they've never learned how to worship in the right way. Some of them were older and coming back and not understanding what it really means to worship God. But what they found out was, and hopefully you find out the same thing, let's say we spend some time, you know, just to, I mean, something silly and simple. Let's just say we decide to turn on Caleb for a little bit, right? And we decide we just want to have a time of worship. We get our, our favorite Apple Music or our, our Spotify or, or some people still use Pandora. We look at our playlist and we just type in the word worship. And we go, hey, you know what? I got 45 minutes. I don't do this a lot. I just want to worship God. And then all of a sudden you start hearing some songs and you hear things about who God is. And you start realizing as you're listening to who God is, you may start tearing up. You may start getting choked up. You may start thinking about some stuff going on in your life. And then you realize something. If you're truly worshiping God, what we've learned is this. As you worship and God reveals who he is, we start recognizing who we are. And it should throw us to the floor. Because when you see God for who he is, it causes you to want to either run away or turn from your wicked ways. And that's what repentance is. When we make that 180 degree turn, realizing who God is and who we really are, it, it floors us. And so you may be listening to that music, and all of a sudden you find yourself crying. And instead of listening to the music, you are now talking to God and saying, God, I know who I am. Please forgive me for what I've done. And then you've, you've entered this season, this, this experience of the beginnings of repentance. But repentance isn't just feeling bad about what you've done. And the problem is most of us, that's where we end when it comes to repentance. We just feel bad about what we're done, and we think that's enough. And I'm here to tell you, just feeling bad about what you've done isn't repentance, that's just remorse. Now, remorse is included in repentance, but that's not the end all. What repentance requires is for us to recognize who God is, recognize who we are, and understand that's a drastically different thing. God is perfect and we are sinners, right? It comes down to that. God is perfect and we're sinners. But if we end there, that's just remorse. What God wants us to do is then start communicating with him so he can begin to or can continue to tell us who he is, and then he can start telling us who we can be because of Jesus Christ. And repentance isn't remorse. Repentance is us not only recognizing who we are, but turning from our wicked ways. That's repentance. Repentance, it, repentance is turning, making a change. Like, the, like they said about the, the wise men, they went home a different way. That everything we do is the same until we recognize who Jesus is and we make changes. That's repentance. And when you and I get into what repentance is, we begin to realize how much God has done for us. So repentance then leads to restoration. And restoration is now God can now start molding and shaping us because he's been breaking us down, removing all the draws, removing all the parts that need to be removed. And then now... He starts to restore us, and we begin to realize as we continue in the Word, we 
Because that's part of our problem. We repent, we feel upset, we get in the word, and then what do we do? We stop. We stop praying, we stop reading until what happens again. We're on that roller coaster of our life, and everything starts getting messed up again, and then we want to talk to God again, right? It would be great for us. Wouldn't it be great if we decide, hey, you know what? Not only are we going to repent for our ways, but then let's stay in that state of repentance. Let's continue to keep short accounts of sin with God. And every time we know that we've done something, we go to God immediately. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And understand that we always have, have, a, have God who's never moved, and, and we can continue to, to have this repentance. And then we see that this restoration becomes a bigger thing than we thought. How many of you here has ever restored an old house? Right? Jim Hicks and Bill and a couple of guys, they restored our house that we live in. They understand that, you know, you may start out a project and realize, man, there's more that needs to be changed. Right? And I'm thankful for all of you that helped us move here and got our house ready. You saw that some things may not appear the same in the front. It may look better. It may be worse when you get inside. And the same thing has happened when you start restoring yourself. God starts to restore you, and then you realize, man, it doesn't, wasn't just the front porch. I got plumbing issues. My kitchen is a mess. I hope God doesn't open that closet. Amen? And you realize restoration isn't just a one-time event. It's a process, and it should continue over and over. And as we repent, as we make mistakes in this DIY process, right? God continues to show us things, and we continue to, to, to expand and grow even more until restoration becomes deeper and more fulfilling. And what happens when restoration becomes this deep relationship with Jesus, we then have revival. And we realize, man, I was going the wrong way. I was doing the wrong thing. And now I have this relationship with Jesus that causes me not only to be able to come to him and not be scared when I come. He forgives me. And then we just, we just get deeper in our relationship. And that, that gives me this effervescence that the way I live my life, it spills out. It's like the Bible talks about joy overflowing. And this revival leads to something that's long-term, and that's called renewal. Jesus wanted us to pray for this. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That we would get to the place in our life that even, this, even though we're just pilgrims passing through, and even though we're still on the journey, that as citizens of heaven, we begin to feel and act like that. That we begin to sound, feel more like we're from heaven than we're from earth. And this renewal process continues as we continue to repent, as we continue to be restored, as we continue to be revived, renewal starts to set in and grow. And this was the prayer that, I, that Nehemiah had. This was the prayer that Ezra had. This was the prayer that Zerubbabel had. This was the prayer that all of the Levites had as they started to, to teach them the word of God. And you remember how we spoke. They, they, they all got up and heard the word of God. They were there sometimes for six hours just listening to the word of God. And the Levites would educate them on what was proclaimed, what that actually meant. And then for last week, we got into Psalm 145 to talk about this is one of the Psalms that they would have begun to rehearse and they begun to, to do something in worship. And we learned last week that, the first week we learned that true worship involves us voluntarily coming to God, recognizing that we have to repent and that we need more of him. And then we spoke about the fact last week that worship is really just us attributing worth to God. 
that it's it's it involve it involves emotion, but you know, emotion is subjective, right? If some of us are stoic people, we don't like, you know, get mad at when someone may not enjoy join us in our emotional event, right? So it's just like in this church, and I know this is this is a safe room, but it may get a little bit awkward I'm about to say right here, but I'm not pointing anybody out. Some of us clap, cheer, shout when we worship. Some of us stand still when we worship, and we shouldn't get ticked at each other for that. Right? Because it's funny, but I know like a lot of you are thinking it's one way. Those of us who are maybe more emotional, you think that people who are not emotional are staring at you, looking at you down. I guarantee you there are some people here who are very emotional who get upset at people who don't get emotional. How dare they just stand there like they're better than everybody else? Jesus! Like, no, that's such a hypocritical way to live your life, right? Oh my goodness, I'm so mad that they're not worshiping, but oh God, I love you! Oh, man, you're a hypocrite. You know, God has made us with different personalities, different characteristics, different, different emotional levels, and some of us are just going to be stoic, and some of us are going to just really shout out, and maybe there's more than one way to worship God. But the issue is, are you actually worshiping God? Or do you just like the song? Right? I mean, Sheldon's kicking it on the drums. Dustin's leading it on the vocals. It's a good time. But it, that better may not be the only reason why we're doing this. It better be because we, we have attributed worth to God that when we see and we realize, holy cow, that's, that's God we're talking about. Something should happen. Do you really have the victory in Jesus? I mean, come on. I hope that's what's happening when we celebrate. I'm praying that's what's going on. And so as we attribute worth to God, we know what that means. It's actually, it's, it sounds so beautiful. This is what it is. We literally are saying, God plus nothing else equals everything. And we, I mean, think about how crazy that is for us to be singing and trying to tell God that we know how much he's worth. I mean, it's just, it's, how do we do that? But we try our best, right? And we mean, we, may mess up, but God loves us just speaking to him because he's our father. So, when we attribute words to God, and we have these moments of repentance, and we have these moments of restoration, and we have these moments that lead to revival and renewal, and this starts to happen continuously, but we start recognizing God is now, and now this is a, this is a next level type of Christianity that we Worship God for who he is, not for what he can do for us. Catch that? Because sometimes we only worship God because we know that he can heal. We don't worship God because he's the greatest thing ever. We worship him because we need something done. We know he can heal. We know he can do that, and we should honor that. But we should recognize that's not the end all. The end all isn't for God to work in our life. The end all is for us to recognize God for who he is. That is growth. And when we've hit that level, we're going to talk about today how you and I can celebrate the victory that we have because of our relationship with our God. Because this was the last step for the, the nation that came back from exile. There's this remnant came back, they now had to understand and they now had to realize, hey, we're, we've learned how to repent. 
we've learned that, that restoration happens. We're seeing it physically. We're seeing you know, the, the city of Jerusalem just you know be built back up, and and we also now see we see that we can have this relationship with God that's that's deep. It's it's us praying and, and, and crying out to God, and now He answers us through His Word, and, and, and this is starting to grow, and this is starting to seep in. And so now it's just like, and, and, I, and I bring this up because I think I, I have this tendency as well. Who here has had issues in their life? Raise your hand. Who here has issues that have issues in their life? Raise your hand. Right? And, and those of us who have had issues in our life, who have had bad experiences in our life, what, what happens is things trigger us. Right? And, and it's usually like these dumb little things that trigger us and remind us of all the stuff that we've been through and we get into this moment of defeat. Right? And I believe for the nation of Israel, for them, realizing what their ancestors did, realizing what they went through in their life, sometimes, and if you're anything anything like me, and maybe maybe like you as well, you're waiting for the next shoe to drop. You're always living your life wondering, when's the next crisis going to happen? When's the next this going to happen? When is this this person going to hurt me? When... Is God going to let me down again? And so what happens is we made all this progress in our life, and then it stops. And then we continue on in this cycle, this this horrible cycle of of just like the nation of Israel went into praising God, then cursing God, uh, having to be judged by God, then, then repenting, and then God working on their behalf, and then it kept happening over and over again, right? And what was missing was these moments of just celebrating the victory because they were just waiting for the next crisis or, or the next person who was going to abuse them, for the next person who was going to rule over them. They never got it down right. And I don't want the same for us. I want us to recognize that when God works, we're not just waiting for the next crisis for him to fix, that when God works, we celebrate. That we understand that we have the victory in Jesus. That when we come into this place and that we gather, we celebrate because God has moved. God has worked. And we're not just waiting for him to, to solve the next issue, that we worship him because he has already given us the victory. So I invite you to turn to Psalm 98. And we're going to talk about what it means to have victory. Now, you see it's only nine verses. And you're like, Pastor Rob, you know what that means, buddy. It's going to be short, right? It is. Because <laughs> there's some soup out there. You know what I mean? We have, we have some stuff. It's not going to be that long, but I, I want us to, to spend some time understanding what it means. Last week, we spent some time understanding what it means to attribute worth to God, and this week, we're going to talk about what it means to celebrate together. Amen? Because some of you, I don't, I, I really feel like it may not even be in your nature or your culture to celebrate. And maybe because of the way you brought up, or maybe just because of the way life is going right now, you're like, I'm just waiting for God to answer this prayer. If God answers this prayer, then I'll celebrate. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to celebrate God is already going to answer that prayer. It may not be the answer you want, but God promises to answer every prayer that we have. All right, so let's all stand and let's get into Psalm 98. The Bible says, Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has performed wonders. His right hand and holy arm have won him victory. The Lord has made his victory known. 
He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel, and all the ends of the earth have seen God's victory. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Be jubilant. Shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord with a lyre, with the lyre and the, and, the, and the melodious song, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. Let the sea and all that fills it, the, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth, and he will, and he will judge the world righteously people's Pharaoh. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. Psalm, Psalm 98. And I, and I hope you see it, because I know I've, I've spoken about it, so I kind of like gave you the, the cliff note version, but like, you, you understand that a major, a major point or a major theme in this passage is victory, right? This is what the psalm is about, and so the psalmist speaks to the power uh, that the victory that God provides also provides this power because it, it gives them beyond the, the memory of what God did in the past, it causes them to realize that God can continue to work in the present day. And that's important, and also in the future, because I think sometimes we look back at whether we want to call them like the heydays or like the glory days, right? We look back and we say, hey, God did all of these things back then that sometimes we miss what God is doing now, right? And if we miss what God is doing now, it's harder for us to pray and center in on what we're asking God to do in the future because we're so focused on the fact that it's not like the what? The past, right? So victory, I want you to see right away, victory is a very present type of thing. That you and I, if, if no matter what emotionally we feel we're going through right now, victory is our current situation. Did you know that? Like you ever um, like read somebody's status on, on Facebook and they go, it's complicated, right? Or it's like, you know, last week they were dating somebody, this week they were dating somebody else and they don't want anybody to know, so they just go, it's complicated, right? Your relationship with Jesus shouldn't be complicated. If you've been saved by Jesus, guess what? You have the victory right now. The problem is you don't realize you have it. And we live like we don't have what God has given us. God has given us the victory in Christ Jesus. And so when we talk about victory, when we talk about the, the theme of, of Psalm 98, it's not for us to go, oh, okay, so we can, we can get victory. You have victory. And so initially, the, 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 the salvation that is talked about in Psalm 98 talks about uh, Israel. But eventually, like if you read what it says in Psalm verses, uh, in that Psalm, the first three verses, this victory applies to everybody. Right? Because it says who? Shout for joy all the nations. So this is not, this, this goes beyond a Psalm specifically for those Jews who are, who are feeling like they are oppressed right now, this psalm makes it clear that it's for everybody. And so uh, the, the salvation, think about it, the victory that it's talked about in this psalm is completely supernatural. This, 
this victory, I, I hope you understand, victory in God, victory in Jesus is single-handedly in the presence and in the, it's a product that comes exclusively from God. You did not earn the victory. You had nothing. In fact, you messed it all up until God came and saved you. So when we talk about victory, it's different. It's different. Okay, it's, it's like this. Okay, so I, I'm a, and I'm, I'm just going to say that I am a, I'm a New York Mets fan. And I know, I know, I, you don't have to, I know, I know, it's bad. And it's always bad. It doesn't get better. They hurt me every year. And like they make some. It's, I am a glutton for punishment because I am a New York Mets fan. Okay, I said it right away. I'm a New York Mets fan. And I'm going to be transparent and honest, even though it really grieves my soul. Okay? Here's the thing. I'm a Mets fan. But my son Robert, who I'm throwing under the bus right now, is a bigger Mets fan than I am. This cat walks into the hilltop with Mets outfits on. I'm like, you're going to get cut. They're like, what are you doing? They're going to take you to that, that, that field, and they're going to say, hey, Rob, let's learn how to hunt, and you're the one who's going to be hunting. Like, it's, it's, I mean, but me and Rob, we have this, it bothers us because, like, I mean, here's the thing. Maybe if they knew that when a game was on, that me and Rob were wearing all of our gear, maybe they would play better. Right? Maybe if they realize that Mets Nation is rooting for them, maybe they'd be like, hey, let's not play like idiots and really play today. You know, I mean, but here's the thing. Me and Rob can't affect the way those players play on the field, even though we think we do, right? Some of us, we take our favorite team and we won't change the socks for a whole week because they're lucky, right? And it does absolutely nothing, but we think it does. Hey, we think, hey, maybe if they heard, maybe if the Buffalo Bills... But, like, they're doing good right now, but they're going to let me down. They always do, right? But, I mean, like, if I wear, like, my Buffalo Bills socks for a week and don't wash, like, maybe maybe they'll hear about it and maybe they'll play better, right? I mean, you know, but that's what it is. And so for us, sometimes I think, like, when we get to this idea of victory, we're like, hey, like, maybe if we try harder, God will hear about us trying harder, and then we'll finally have the victory, not realizing we already have the victory. We're not, we're not auditioning for God. You know what I mean? It's not like God, we're not God's biggest fan. He's our biggest fan. He's already gave us the victory. Why do we why do we try to act like we need to, you know, be a part of this victory? Because sometimes I think we act like that. When we see victory in Jesus, we're like, I got the victory. How about you? I got, no, you don't. No, you only got it because of Jesus. You know, like, I mean, it's you don't have the victory because you're such a super Christian. You got the victory because Jesus loves you. And so we can actually stand in this identity that we have. Instead of trying to audition for God to give us a victory, we have it. And this is when you go from repentance to restoration to revival to renewal. You start to understand 
who you are in Jesus. And that causes you to celebrate the victory because, because if it's not a victory party for God working out a single event. The victory that we're talking about is we're victorious because that's who we are. So the same mindset that has to change that the fact that, you know, we are in Jesus now needs to be our mindset. We have current the victory. Okay? So that's what he says, celebrate the victory. That's what he wants us to realize. The, the victory comes as we look through, these, through this portion of scripture. We see the victory comes because we already have it. So, so think about this. Maybe we can put it this way. Instead of celebrating the victory that we receive, let's celebrate the victory that we already have. So for some of us, it's not, it's not like acquiring victory. It's us recognizing that it was already there and we finally found it. Okay? So this is more like us finding the treasure that's already there than us acquiring the treasure that wasn't there. Okay? That's important because as we read through the psalm, you'll see how this plays out. So Psalm 98, let's begin to read together. Sing a new song to the Lord. Now, right away, that word sing, this is a song, okay? It says it. This is a song. So remember how the, the, the people from the Bible Project, that video that we watched last week, said that the psalm shouldn't be considered like a hymn, hymn book? It's not, but it does contain hymns. It contains contains songs. So sometimes you have a song of lament, which means it's usually you do that when you're repenting. This is drastically different. Psalm 98 is a, is a song, it's a song, and it's a song of victory. Okay? So this type of idea that there's melody behind it is, is normal for the songs. Okay? But I want you to feel what the writer is telling us. That this is something that is actively done by us. Just like shout to the Lord, right? This is sing. Okay? So the idea is, it, and it doesn't matter how bad you sing, God wants you to sing. But here's what he wants you to sing. Okay? So it's not just singing. Because sometimes, and this is what makes it for me, and I'm glad that the, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit knew what we needed, you know what I mean? So he wrote it for us to understand. We don't, we're not just going to sing anything. He gives us exactly what to sing. He says, sing a new song. All right? What, what does this mean, sing a new song? Like, like God doesn't like beat tracks? Like, what is it? God doesn't like the old stuff? I mean, if that was really what he meant, sing a new song, then we shouldn't have some victory in Jesus today because that was old. Right? It's not what he means. Sing a new song goes directly to the fact that once you establish a true relationship with God, it doesn't matter what culture you come from, it's going to be a new relationship. So even for the nation of Israel, who historically have known God from the beginning, he tells them once this repentance comes, once this restoration comes, once revival starts to hit, your song is new. And the word new, we could actually translate it brand spanking new. Because it doesn't mean that it's restored, it means that it literally is created again. That your relationship with Jesus isn't just reformation, it's regeneration. We are new creatures in Christ. Not that all things are passed away. Everything is now new. 
So when you sing to God because you have been redeemed, when you sing to God because you've been because you have repented, it, it is like that brand spanking new feel that you don't have to worry about what you did. God has uh, has has not only pardoned you for it, but has paid the price for it. So you can sing a brand new song. Well, who do you sing that new song to? To the Lord. That is that is crazy important. Because it's not just that we're singing. Because sometimes here's what happens. We love our eternal life. We love it. We love the fact that we're not going to get punished for any of our sins, right? I mean, it's, it's not wrong to not love that. Right? That's great. Forgiveness is awesome. But sometimes we focus on worshiping the forgiveness instead of the God who forgave us. So we spend all of our time just worshiping on for. This is why we, me and Dustin have talked about this a lot, that the, the trend now in, in music, especially in Christian music, is it's getting away from worshiping God and more telling stories about what God did for us. And that's and, and I understand that. I get that. Like, you know, it is true. God's love does look reckless because of the way he did it. But in the same account, guys, if we spend all of our time just recounting what God did for us, it becomes about us and not about him. If all the songs that we sing have I in it, we have messed up. So singing a new song isn't just singing the, the latest song that comes out. It's singing a song with a revived, repentant, and, revived, and a renewed spirit to God exclusively. So it's more important. It's not, it's, it's, it's not unimportant for us to remember what God did for us. But the, when we sing about what God did for us, it should lead to then us singing about who God is not leaving it about what he did for us. You see, that, that, that's that next level stuff that I want us to get. That, that we're beyond just remembering what God did for us. We use what God did to bring us into a deeper relationship with us knowing him. Because that's growth. Knowing Jesus. Paul made it clear. Knowing Jesus is growth. So what do we do? We sing a new song for he has, what a why? Because God hath performed what? Wonders. What's another word for wonder? Miracles. Supernatural events. Why do we sing a new song? Because God has done something. Here, let's put it very simply. God has done things that only God can do. That's why we worship him. He has done beyond what we can think or imagine. And those of us who can testify this, we know we asked God for something and then he blew our socks off and did way more than we ever thought that he would. And for some of us, we're so blind because we're so tied into the specific thing that we want. God has worked beyond that and we don't even notice that he's done that. And, but then when we do, we repent and we sing a new song because of all the wonders that I love that word perform because I think sometimes God puts on a show for us to show us how big he is and to show us how small we are. His right hand, okay, and his holy arm have won him victory. Okay, so the right hand and the holy arm. This is important because they both, it's as important as when David says, thy, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, okay? So here's the idea. The right hand has everything to do with God's positioning as being authority, 
okay? The right hand of judgment. You know, like the right hand of the law, right? That's who he is. Because of his authority, but then also because of his holy arm, God can knock anybody out that he wants. God can heal anybody that he wants. God is completely and totally sovereign over all affairs. So not only is God in charge, he uses his strength to show us that he's in charge. And that may sound scary to some of you, but how do you think he got the victory? He moved through time. He moved through your circumstances. He moved enemies out of the way in order for you to have the victory he's already claimed for you. God's holy arm reached out and allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins so that one day now Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, able to save you completely. So if you're here today and you've never experienced what it means to have this new song, to have this sense of repentance that you realize who God is and you realize who you are, today is the day for you to recognize that God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, died for your sins. The Bible is clear that he did this because his holy arm, his righteous arm that can inflict judgment or blessing loved you so much, he inflicted judgment on the Son of God for Jesus Christ to take the price of all of our sins. His holy arm allowed that so that one day Jesus would sit at the right hand of the Father, able to not only save you, but to, to actually be your advocate. Every time you sinned, after you got saved, Satan comes and says, hey, Rob did this, and Jesus goes, yeah, he did, but my hands and my feet and my side, I died for that. This is the power that God has, not only to give us the victory, but to give us the ultimate victory in Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 2. The Lord has made his victory known. So this is not some secret society that only some of us know what God has done. We've all experienced what God has done. But specifically for these Hebrews in this post-exilic era, they knew what God had done because look what happened. They went from, they, they were still alive. For all, for all intents and purposes, I want you to think through history, how many cultures have survived over and over, people uh, conquering them, moving them to foreign lands. All these things happen, but still there is always a remnant of who? The nation of Israel. That is miraculous. The fact that they were able to come back and restore worship Biblically, is a miracle. The fact that you and I have a copy of the Word of God is a miracle. Do you realize that God has made the victory known in your life on a daily basis? Every time you wake up, victories happen. You have another day to serve Him. Every time you think about all the things that are going south in your life, recognize that God has made the victory known to you and to others. So the way that you deal with trials also shows people whether God is victorious or not. Do you show God's victory to other people? That's a good question around Thanksgiving time. When we get with our relatives and everybody wants to start talking about politics and all those different things, hey, have you ever thought about this? How about give thanks to God before the meal? Not like right before, but like when you get to the door. Let me tell you what God did. 
be, pre be, be, be preemptive and, and, and proactive in telling people who Jesus is. Now look at the second part of that verse in verse 2. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Now remember, this is different than victory. What is this? It is his righteousness. Okay? So how does God reveal that he is perfect, that he is absent of sin? He shows his victory in the sight of who? Everybody. So victory isn't just available to a certain group of people. Victory is available to all who call on the name of Jesus. But not only that, look at this. Salvation is also available to all who call on Jesus, not just a, a, a specific cultural group. And this is important for the Jews to realize this. Why? Because they are now in a land that's still, they're occupying the land, but they're still in control of, of, of the nation that they came from. They need to realize that God will bless even the people who were their occupiers. God has blessed all nations. All right, listen to verse 3. He remembered, he has remembered his love, and he's remembered his faithfulness to the house of Israel. And I want, you know, we can put our name in there because God has not only remembered his love and faithfulness to keep a remnant together of the nation of Israel. Do you realize God remembered and loved you so much that he moved through history for you to be able to accept Jesus Christ? Do you realize it wasn't by accident when you heard the gospel? You may say, well, I grew up in church. Yeah, God allowed that. Well, Grandma bought me. Thank God for Grandma. She listened to God's call. But God moved through your good circumstances, and God moved through your bad circumstances in order for you to realize he still remembers, he still remembers you by your name, and he's still faithful to you, even when you're not faithful to him. Think about the nation of Israel, how many times they went against God, and he still remembers them, and he still loves them. The Bible says all the ends of the earth have seen God's victory. So think about this. God's blessing, God's care for you as an individual has also been a testimony to other people about how great he is. So it's more, listen, if you're not going to cry out the rocks and trees will, okay? All right? But it'd be better if you told people what God has done for you. And you know when you, know when you need to do that? In good times and in bad times. When things are, uh, when you're up against it or when God is blessing tremendously, you tell God, you tell people, Let the whole earth shout. So now we're going into the commands. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Okay, remember, not just the nation of Israel. The entire earth. Be jubilant. Shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord. And now he starts listing instruments. Now why? Okay, now I want you to get this. Okay, so shouting and singing are two different things, right? Dustin sings. Tony shouts. I mean, that's... Right? I mean, it's a complete different thing right now. If we were going to have, like, you know, a competition here... Dustin would blow Tony out the water, but then if we had the shooting contest, it would go completely the other way, right? So, I mean, there's a difference between shouting and singing for sure, right? And why does the Bible mention both? Because I want you to understand, God wants you to shout, which is the most, it's actually one of the most, the rawest forms of emotion that portrays out, right? When you shout, whether good or bad, and you shout, it's just like, ah, oh, woohoo! It's still like, it just kind of comes out when things happen, right? Singing's a little different. Singing requires preparation. Singing requires skill. Singing sometimes has instruments behind it. So here's what God's saying. In your rawest moments, shout out to God. 
when you have time to prepare, sing to God. Whether you're shouting or you're singing, it needs to be reflective to who? God. Because he gave you the ability to shout and sing. No one else has given that. I mean, honestly, some of us really don't know how to sing. But God wants to hear you shout. He does. He, lo he loves hearing you sing out of tune. Did you know that? He absolutely loves it when you get your words wrong. He he loves when you think a song says this, or you don't even know what it says. He loves when you sing when the roll is called up yonder, not knowing what the heck that means. He loves it. He loves, he loves it. When you don't understand what ebb and flows are in the hymn, he wants you, he wants you to sing it. Why? Because you, because this is through the relationship that, that he has with you. He loves to hear the joy in your heart because he understands that you recognize what he's done. All right, let's go to verse 6. With trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn. Now, the ram's horn I wanted to bring up because this specifically is something that's used in religious ceremonies. This the ram's horn isn't an instrument that's used in a lot of places. There's trumpets. You see those not just in church. You see those even in, in chariots. You you look at uh, you know the, the other uh, like a harp. Also the same thing. The ram's horn for the nation of Israel specifically was used not only for battle cries but also to gather the nation together. Okay, so the idea of the ram's horn being shouted. Uh, triumphantly in the presence of the Lord means this. God wants you to shout just sporadically. God wants you to sing in preparation. But God wants us as a church to gather to do this as well. So the idea that, you know, hey, I, I get my church when I'm in the car going to work and I'm listening to No, you don't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, we got, we got all these travel ball games. I'm sorry. We had all these travel games, and you know, we're not going to be in church on all that. You're not shouting with the Rams one because you're not here with us. There is a sacrifice to gathering. And that sacrifice needs to be in the presence of God. And it's about time we start realizing us gathering is something that not everybody's able to do in the world. And we take it for granted. So when the Rams horn shouts, and for most of us, it's going to be an iPhone telling us to get up in time for church. Get up and get here and worship with your church family. This idea of like, you know, like I can go to church when I want, that's not enough sacrifice. Go to church when the rest of us are here. We need, we need this. This is part of what it means to be in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says, and I know it's talking about a, a, a disciplinary era, uh, era, but in Matthew 18 when it says two or three are gathered, God's in the midst. What he's saying is God agrees. God agrees with whatever happens two or three brethren are together in matters of church discipline, but also in matters of worship. God agrees with us in our worship when we are together. God agrees when we're together. Man, we got to be together more. God loves it when we're together. Let's look at verse 7. Let the sea and all that fills it, okay, the world and those who live in it resound. Okay, so man, if Fish are going to be in there. Everything is going to be clapped. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy. This, this directly goes with what the Bible says about the, the entire world groans. The entire world knows who the creator of the universe is. The, the, the entire world doesn't wait for natural science to catch up with the Bible. The entire world knows who God is. 
creation knows. There are no atheistic trees. It's only us. God gave us the ability to have intellect and we run amok with it. Instead of worshiping, we are thinking God out of everything. But the entire world knows. Is that me again? The live stream works. Yes. All right. Verse 9. I do not sound good. All right. Verse 9. Last verse up there. Okay, so before the Lord. Okay, so this is a continuation of verse 8. Before the Lord means what? I mean, this all happens. All of our shouting, all of our singing, all of our repentance, all of our, um, you know, restoration, all of these things happens in the presence of God. And now this is, I mean, this is the the warning in the, in that the end of a psalm of celebration. He says this. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and peoples fairly. Now, for the nation of Israel, that, that is different from what they've heard, especially those who grew up in this time period, because they just live under whoever is the king of the empire, right? And the king of the empire can do whatever he wants. He usually doesn't judge righteously. He usually doesn't judge fairly. He just, they just conquer and they take over. And so for them to hear that there is a king who will come, who will judge the earth righteously and fairly, sounds like a great thing, right? Here's the problem. We're all wicked, rotten sinners who deserve hell. So if he judges righteously and fairly on our own, we're all in trouble. So this is where having a relationship with Jesus is extremely important, and I would even say it's a life and death issue because God is going to come and he is going to judge because he is the king of the universe. And in God's economy, everything will have to zero out. His balance sheet will have to be that way. And the only way for us to have our debt paid for all the things that we said, thought, or done that displeased God is that Jesus Christ died for our sin. So instead of us dying and paying that price because he judges righteously and fairly, and if God is being fair, every single one of us should be in hell. None of us deserve heaven. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. So when God judges fairly, if God is just judging us based on our good and bad deeds, we are all in a lot of trouble. For the wages of sin, the paycheck for being someone who thinks, says, and does things that displeases God, which is all of us, the wages of sin is death. That's our sentence. That God who says celebrate the victory must first remind you that you need to have the victory before you can celebrate it. And you don't get the victory by just being born into this earth because God's going to judge the earth. And everyone who has been born a human being has been born with this, this nature, this character that's defected. You and I sin. And God says, He, you know, everyone who sins is under his judgment. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
God saw us exactly where we were, and exactly the state that we're in, and he doesn't want us to reform anything. He doesn't want us to change anything because we've sinned. We can't do that. We have this sin nature. We have this character defect that cannot be changed. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the son of God, God the son. God died for your sins on the cross. So instead of us having to die, he died. So that when he judges the world righteously and fairly, he doesn't look at us. He looks at the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Man, that's a, that, that, is a, that is a beautiful thing that God did for us. It's the most supreme act of kindness that anybody could ever do. God loves you so much that his son, God the son, died for your sins. So that you don't have to go through punishment. So that when he comes and judges, because he is going to judge, he's going to judge fairly based on what Jesus did, not on what you so when the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, God literally is saying that if you recognize that you've sinned, if you've recognized that he's going to judge the earth, and if you really want to have a victory, you need to have Jesus Christ as your Savior first. It's not about going to church. It's not about being a member of Solid Rock. It's about has there been a time in your life that you've recognized that without Jesus Christ, that if you were to pass off into eternity, or right now you realize you don't have a Savior and you need one to pay the price for your sins, now is the time. Because God is going to judge. But he wants everybody to have the victory. But not the victory because you're a good person, not the victory because you go to church, not the victory because you download an app, but the victory why? Because you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And I want to share with you the truth from God's word. 